beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the beauty wood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. <laughs> Since we're together, might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please won't you be? Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> Hello, neighbor. Welcome to the auditorium neighborhood. Today, if I can get my shoe tied, we're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about and continue our discussion on the fruit of the Spirit. And although the message may be rather simple, here's what I'm most excited about. When you add the power of the Holy Spirit, this is going to get real good real fast. So I want you to sit back and enjoy. Take in the simplicity, but yet the powerful part of the message. And I also want to encourage us to finish this series strong. Because I don't know about you, all the times we've heard, uh, you know, when people go listing off the fruit of the Spirit, for me it's always... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and it just kind of fades to nowheresville. So today, and then next week, we're going to wrap up with self-control, but let's remind ourselves of what it says in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today, like I said, is going to be a very practical application for all of us. It's also going to be a very hot application for all of us. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we're going to talk about gentleness. So what do you think about when you hear the word gentleness? I know for a lot of us, myself included, gentleness is one of those qualities that you seem to kind of admire, but you're not really sure you want to have it, if that makes any sense. And then the other thing is that the opposite of strength or the opposite of passion. So I'm going to define, and if you've been around Kevin for the last year and a half, because we went through this series a year ago, he has come up with a very simple definition of gentleness is power under control. So let's go to picture, picture, and see if we can get a couple of ideas of what that might look like. Powerful stallion, rearing up on its hind legs, but yet... The rider actually seems quite in control. Or how about this next picture? This is one of my favorites. How about the powerful jaws of a lion, that beautiful mama lion, but yet so gentle as she's carrying her baby. Those are the pictures that I want you to keep in mind as we go through this morning. But would you try something for me before we get too far into this? As we've been talking over the last several weeks, Kevin has started, and many of us here that have been teaching in the auditorium, we've been coming up with a couple of different questions that I'm just going to bring back to the forefront one more time, because I think it's imperative that we keep these ruminating in our brains. First one is this, is 
Cultivating the soil of your heart in a distracted world. How do we do that? How do you cultivate your heart with all the things going on in our world? And then the second question that we've been asking is what or who is forming you? So we're going to try something. You're going to see it in a lot of different ways throughout our church life. We're going to try it with the young children. We're going to try it with the high school kids. You're probably going to hear it a lot in the different uh, people as they present. We're calling it the first five. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourselves with your neighbor a couple of these questions. So this past week, were you distracted or attentive? What things helped you or distracted you? And then the third question is, what was the most formative thing or person in your life? So again, take just a few minutes, share with your neighbor those questions or parts of those questions. So break into groups of maybe two or three at the most so everybody gets a chance to speak. So go ahead and do that just for a couple of minutes if you would. Okay, thank you for doing that. And my encouragement to all of us is to keep those questions in mind. Keep coming back to those in your own personal devotions, in your time with your family, around your table. Keep coming back to those questions so that those stay in the forefront of our conversations. Because we are, again, as a leadership team and as a teaching team, we're going to try to keep coming back to those in our organized settings as well. But I was inspired by a quote of Beth Moore. And I'd like to read it for you. I think it's going to show up on our screen as well. But it says this, God is invading the globe with the gospel of Christ, pursuing people from every tongue, tribe, nation, offering them life, faith, love, hope, deliverance, joy, and a forever future where he reigns as king. And here's why I think all of this fruit of the Spirit is critical. And as we bear fruit, we get to be a part of that mission. That's what it's all about. Bottom line, that's what it's all about. And then she also goes on and adds this quote later on in her book. It says this, your fruit will outlast your life. Think about that. Your fruit will outlast your life. So again, this is why I'm so excited about this series. This is why I'm excited to share today because in a world where we're living in exile, if you remember the overarching theme that we've had for the last year and a half is as a church, we're living in exile. What does that look like? How can we uh, play a part in God's mission? How can we be a part of that? So in a world that's living in exile that is becoming more and more hostile, that is becoming more and more leery of what Christians have to say, In a world that's becoming darker, or it seems to be becoming darker and darker, and angrier and angrier. Here's the sentence of the day. Gentleness packs a powerful punch. Gentleness packs a powerful punch. So as I thought about it, I thought, okay, for the last month, I've been thinking about who in my life, who in my life most exudes gentleness. If you were with us on Christmas Eve, I talked about Buddy the Elf and about joy. So I'm going the other direction. Who do I think is the most gentle person? Now, I have a confession. When my kids were little and Mr. Rogers' age, I didn't watch much because I really... But the more I got to understand him and know about him and really see what made him tick, I become quite intrigued by him. So I got Mr. Rogers... I've got my father-in-law, who I'm going to share a little bit about, and then I got Jesus. So here's the title of the sentence. Here's the sermon. Oh, you got the sermon in a sentence. 
So what I've learned about gentleness from Mr. Rogers, my father-in-law, and Jesus. And you're going to hear a little bit about each one of those. So let's talk about Mr. Rogers. You know, everything about him just kind of exudes gentleness, right? And so I was inspired, and Lisa and I, we decided we were going to rent the movie that came out in the last year or so. Tom Hanks stars in it. It's called uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And so I thought it was going to be kind of a documentary type with Tom Hanks kind of juicing it up a little bit, really telling the story of Mr. Rogers. It sort of does. But the interesting part and twist of the movie is actually about a guy by the name of Tom Juno, who is actually a writer for a national magazine. And he was asked to write a profile on Mr. Rogers. Now, the thing about Tom Juno, he was rather cynical. And he, was, and he kind of set out the entire purpose in his mind was to show that Mr. Rogers cannot really truly be this cheesy guy that is on TV. So he was going to try to find the dirt. He was going to try to find what was going on in Mr. Rogers' life that could perhaps embarrass him, whatever that maybe would be. But here's the interesting part about the movie. Throughout the movie, you can see it. It is plainly happening through Mr. Rogers' empathy, through his kindness, through his decency. He started chipping away at Juno's jaded outlook on life. Gentleness packs a powerful punch. And if you watch the movie, it actually shows toward the end, Juno comes to grips with some of his own demons and some of his own stuff, and it's a really a beautiful story. So here you go. For those of you taking notes, here are my common sense takeaways from Mr. Rogers. Be fully present. Sense people's needs. Sense when they may have feelings that you need to be in touch with. Second thing that I thought was really interesting, Mr. Rogers, if you ever watch anything, whenever he's talking to children, he is down at their eye level. So for all of us, all of us. This is why those of us that are older school are sometimes bothered by the technology because we have lost that ability to make eye contact, not only with children, but sometimes big people with little children's hearts. Make eye contact with people. He was very deliberate. He would stop what he was doing and he would make you feel like you were the most important thing in his world at that moment. I love this one, being an old photographer, everybody that he met, anybody who came onto the set, any special guest, he would always say one question, can I take your picture? Can I take your picture? You know what he was doing when he did that? He made people feel valuable. He made them feel important. Somebody in the movie said this, he said, Mr. Rogers has an uncanny ability to find me across a busy room. He looked for people. He was aware when people might be hurting, and he sought them out. The other thing that was really interesting and obvious throughout the whole movie, and if you watch any episodes of Mr. Rogers, he asked questions. His first response was always questions. So in the storyline, Juno, the author, would always ask questions. Mr. Rogers would always reply with a question. Hmm. Read the New Testament. Jesus quite often asked a question. Quite often replied with a question. Now, 
compare that to how you and I tend to respond in a hurting, dark, ugly, cynical world. People are asking questions. They may not form them in the way of a question, but they're, whether it's a post, whether it's whatever it is, what's our response been? My father-in-law, what a, what a great guy. I, I say this in all seriousness. He never lived very close to us. They were in Virginia when Lisa and I got married and spent a good portion of that. Then they retired to Michigan. So I really, one of my greatest regrets that I didn't get to spend more than three or four days at a time with him because he was a beautiful man. And let me tell you a little bit about him. And I think that you will see why I can sense and he is a great picture of gentleness to me. Because here's the amazing thing about him. He was a brilliant man, mathematician. He taught at the University of Iowa. And then when Lisa and I got married, he was out at Washington Lee University out in Virginia. He had a brilliant mind. He could figure things out. He could fix anything. He just had a way about him. And that was one of the interesting things about my father-in-law, Ted. He would walk into a room... And 99.9% .9 of the time, he would by far be the most intelligent person in the room. But you never felt like he was trying to be way smarter than you. The way he treated people, the way he loved. I, gotta, I don't know if we've showed some pictures. Let's look at picture, picture. The way he treated my kids. There's, here was a brilliant man. He got his doctorate in computer science. But he had an unbelievable way, the story behind this, we were sitting down for one of the meals that we ate at their house over one of the holidays, and my young son, Payson, I think, said, Grandpa, you're not dressed up enough for such an occasion. So he went and put the tie on. Here he is dancing with my daughter when she was young. Just the way he acted, and the way he taught people, and the way he taught my wife. She shares all kinds of wonderful stories of when she was growing up, and she would do the old, well, one example. There was a time where she was backing out of the driveway. Back in the days, you young kids aren't going to be able to relate to this. Back when we had metal garbage cans, she backed into those and kind of put a dent into one. So she, being the smart teenager that she was, put it in the garage facing with the dent so dad wouldn't see it. In his gentleness, all he did was hand her the hammer and smiled. Think about the New Testament. Did Jesus ignore when people had sinned? No. But there was a gentleness about him. You know, he had, like I said, a beautiful, powerful mind. And here's really the interesting thing. When I look at my wife, and when I look at my kids, and now already with my young grandkids, the fruit has outlived him. Think about the effect and the multiplication that happens with one man's gentleness and what he taught. So my father-in-law, Ted Schertzma, Mr. Rogers, some beautiful, beautiful examples of gentleness, just for the fun of it, with your neighbor again. Take literally just a minute, maybe two at the most. Who comes to your mind when you think about examples of gentleness? Who in your life? And just even share a quick moment or memory as to why that person just reminds you of gentleness. So again, talk to your neighbor. Thank you again for sharing. 
Again, hopefully some of these conversations continue, can continue as you go home, but I'm going to invite you now, if you brought your Bibles or whatever device you're bringing, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Matthew 12, and we're going to read from verses 18 through 21, because now we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about Jesus. So if you look at the Matthew 12, 18 through 21, the title of the pericope is God's Chosen Service. So Matthew, in this particular piece of scripture, is actually quoting from Isaiah 42, and it's going to become quite obvious rather quickly that it's Jesus who he is and who is the complete fulfillment of this particular one. So let's read this together if we could. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim the justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. It's interesting because you see there in Jesus, there's a quiet, strong calmness of the one who seeks to conquer by love, not by piercing words. It's kind of fun, if you look at the verses right before that, that leads into this, the first part of chapter 12, it's all about where the Pharisees are kind of backing Jesus into the corner about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. So what is Jesus' response? Quiet, strong, and a calmness. Let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Very familiar. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, last week Tom talked about knowing who Jesus really is, and we've shared that a lot over the last year. This is an interesting passage because it really gets to the heart of who Christ is. Gentle and humble in heart. Christ is gentleness. You know, throughout the four Gospels, we see the story of Jesus play out, where we see his birth, we see his disciples being chosen, we see his ministry, we see his travels, we see his prayer routines, and then we see the unjust arrest his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. But this, this verse in Matthew is the only place where we hear Jesus open up and share about his own heart. Again, verse 29, I am gentle and humble. Remember, in biblical terms, the heart is the center of who we are. The heart defines and directs us. So what is Jesus saying when he says he's gentle, he's tender, he's open, He's welcoming, he's accommodating, he's willing, he's understanding. Again, remember, it's not about being wishy-washy. It's not about being indecisive. It's not about being unassertive or just plain wimpy. That's not what we're talking about. Remember, it's gentleness, it's power under control. If you look at the verses just prior to that in Matthew 11, here's what I'm talking about. You got the whole pericope of where Jesus is saying, woe to the unrepentant towns, hardly being wimpy, but rather power under control. 
Another verse that, are, that comes to mind, if you look in Matthew 21, it's really kind of an interesting thing because it's the story of, a very familiar story, of where Jesus cleanses the temple. And the really cool part about that is right after that story, literally the very next verse, what does it say? But it says he healed the blind and the lame. So he goes from clearing out the temple to literally the next verse. It's almost like power. And then he's back under control, blessing and healing. You know, as I've been thinking about this and processing this, and maybe your mind might think this way too, but gentleness to me goes hand in hand with grace. Gentleness and grace just seem to go hand in hand because it starts with God's gentleness to us as sinners. And you can just sense it when you read the stories of the Bible. That's why they're so powerful to me. The way Jesus moves toward hurting people, the way he touches them, the way he heals, the way he embraces. There are lots of different examples of this gentleness. So just as I kind of remind you of some of them, at least just bits and pieces of some of them, just listen for the gentleness. Put yourself in the place of the people that we're talking about. There's the one of the woman who suffers from bleeding. Think about the gentleness of a person who had been what she had been through for years and years, and yet look how gentle Jesus was. Or the gentleness of how Jesus went out of his way, literally out of his way. Remember Mr. Rogers? Out of his way to notice and then raise the son, the only son, of the widow woman as the funeral procession walked by where he was at. Or we've talked a lot, especially if you've watched the movie The Chosen, about the Samaritan woman at the well. Think about a woman who was hurting, more than likely incredibly lonely. But how gentle was Jesus with her? Or the woman who was caught in adultery. And that the Pharisees and the men in this community wanted to stone her. So those are all great examples of women. I got thinking, okay, there's some good examples of men too if you think about it. How about the Roman centurion who came when his servant was feeling suffering terribly and the gentleness that Jesus handled him. You know, think of all the things he could have said to the Roman centurion, somebody who was in charge, somebody who was part of the government, somebody who was, at least if you were a Jew, part of the problem. But yet, Jesus listened and blessed. Or how about Nicodemus, part of the religious elite? When Nicodemus came in the middle of the night and talked to Jesus, did Jesus just kind of roll his eyes and tell him, I've, I've, yeah. But that's not what he did. He asked questions. He asked questions. Or how about how gently Jesus washed the feet of his disciples? Just a beautiful example of being humble and gentle. Or when he healed the leper. I love this. Jesus literally, it says in scripture, reached out his hand. Who does that? Who does that but somebody that's gentle? Gentleness, my friends, packs a powerful punch. You know, it's my takeaway from watching The Chosen. It's just been made glaringly obvious that people who experienced or had an encounter 
with the gentleness of Jesus. Their lives were changed, which led to their circle of influence being changed, which led to their circle of influence. So here's my big question that I've wrestled with for the last month in particular that I'm going to pose to all of us. How about you? Do we, as a church, do I, as a Christ-following disciple, do I treat people with gentleness? Unfortunately, the history of the church shows that often we want to be on Jesus' side, but we lack Jesus' character. Philip Yancey tells a story. I read this in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, years ago. It's one of those stories that has just stuck with me. He tells a story in the opening pages of the book about a prostitute who he's having a conversation with. And this particular prostitute is telling him about how she has sold her two-year-old daughter to men because she can make more money than selling her own body. And he asked the question, he said, have you ever considered going to the church for help? And you know, sadly, it still sends chills down my spine. Sadly, what her response was, church, why would I do that? I already feel badly enough about myself. Is there a disconnect to who Jesus is? and what we're sharing with the world. The posture most natural to Jesus, my friends, is not one of a pointed finger, but it's open arms. Kevin often speaks about we can be right or we can be righteous. I love Allie's story from a few weeks ago when they encountered the guy that was shouting at Tulip Time, and if you weren't here, go back and watch it. She does a great job. But this particular story about how man and his idea of who God is, and it's a condemning God, it's a, almost a hateful God, and how he's screaming almost at the top of his lungs at Tulip Time. You know how Mike and Allie dealt with that particular person? She did this great little, she could have had all the right answers and walked away. Only Allie. How'd I do on that, Allie? Was that okay? <laughs> but she didn't. You know what she and Mike did? Oh, this is going to surprise you. They asked questions. They asked questions. Instead of being right, they just asked questions. Diffused the situation. And they were a witness to the grace of what God is. I wonder, I wonder what would happen in our homes, in our jobs, on our teams, in schools, wherever it is that life takes us. I wonder what would happen if we treated others with gentleness. You know, you got to wonder, I say this cautiously, what we've been doing does not seem to be working. It's working, but it doesn't seem to be. Sometimes it feels like we're two steps back, one step forward. Because religion, and just religion in and of itself, is not going to be the answer. A list of do's and don'ts is not what the world wants to hear. 
But if you look at the stories of the New Testament, you look at Mr. Rogers, you look at my father-in-law, gentleness packs a powerful punch. And when the Holy Spirit gets involved, oh baby, watch out because that's when things really start happening. I want to remind all of us, remember how we've been saying throughout this whole series, it's not about trying harder, not about trying to be more gentle, be more loving, be more joyful, be more self-control. You pick the fruit. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about, and, and I went back and I watched from a year ago as Kevin went through this sermon series with us. He had a sentence throughout the Fruit of the Spirit sermon series a year ago. See if you remember it, if you were part of our family. Word filling plus spirit filling equals fruit bearing. Word filling plus spirit filling equals fruit bearing. That's it, gang. It's not about trying to do more. It's more of Jesus. It's opening up yourself. It's surrender. It's abiding. Specifically, if you read the Bible, let the stories, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it, just soak over you. Go deep into your soul so that you can start wrapping your brain and even more importantly, your heart around who Jesus really is. Worship. Worship and praise. Meditating on his scripture. Jesus longs for us to attach to him. What does it say in Matthew? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. As we close our time together, I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes and I want to read a couple of verses. And again, one we just read and we kind of taught from. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I got one other passage that just stuck with me as I've been preparing. It's out of Isaiah. says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So we're going to do an exercise, which we have done, I think, almost every week or pretty close to it, where I'm going to literally ask us to sit for two minutes in silence. I don't know what God maybe wants to share through his Holy Spirit with you, it might just be a clearer picture of who Jesus really is. Maybe you're just going to get a sense of the gentleness that he is. Maybe there's somebody that's going to come to mind that you need to ask forgiveness, that you did not handle things in a gentle, God-fearing sort of way. So we're going to just take two minutes, just in the silence of the room, to listen.
Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you still speak. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will soften our hearts, open our eyes to those who may be hurting. Give us a gentle and humble spirit, Father. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your mission, of your plan. We just pray for more and more of you, Jesus. Fill us up that we may overflow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we got a couple of, again, very common sense, straightforward action steps for us. They're going to sound familiar. First one is this. Be intentional. Be intentional with your gentleness. Have your radar up. Look for people. Look them in the eye. Make them feel important, valuable, and loved. And ask questions. I think one of the interesting things that I have tried to do, instead of looking for fault, one of the questions I've been asking as I have met people in my work and as I've met people, is a quick question I ask God, how can I pray for this person? does kind of change your attitude real quickly. How can I pray for this person? Second thing is, again, straightforward. Ask this question of yourself. How can I be gentle in my family, with my neighborhood, or with my extended world?